0: Alright, we have a couple of guests today. Hunter, introduce our guests, please. Yes, uh,
1: thank you, Father. This is Logan and Cameron, they live in our house formation, uh, back in the is Lake Charles and they're here for a couple of days
2: shadowing me and some of the other guys and so they're gonna sit in on bugs
0: with this class. <coughs> Alright, fellas, I'm glad to have you. Hope you're edified today. <laughs> All right, so I, brother had brought up the potential of rolling the dice and doing the quiz at the beginning of class. Um, I I am open to that as long as I'm going to cut you off real quick because I need to have notes, or we can go to after class. Who says before? Raise your hand. After? (laughs) Sorry. I I did, I I did, um, grades homilies, and the great news is I didn't get angry once. (laughs) Not once. Uh, y'all speak much better than you do right. Uh, I will release them back. There were two of them, though, that were the best, one making a perfect grade, and the other making an almost perfect grade. So coming in, and, I, and they've given me permission to let y'all listen to them, so I'll upload them. Coming in, in second place, Eric Baylot, right there. Even though his was the shortest, it was still great. And the best, uh, without a doubt, in my opinion, was Mr. Isaiah Minke right there. I'm going to adjust the, and I'll explain why, I'm going to adjust the um, rubric a little bit. Some of them were kind of redundant, but we're going to make it work out. So overall, uh, ladies and gentlemen, great job. Uh, I really am appreciative of it much easier on my life and hopefully much easier in your life, hopefully. But anyhow, today we're going to be kind of looking at our second part of artificial reproductive technology, specifically uh, the the embryos that are created or the extra embryos that are created through the process of IVF that are produced and not implanted. I looked all over to find numbers about this. The best I could find is right now, in the United States, there are anywhere between 600,000 and 1 million frozen embryos in this suspended state. I couldn't find any exact numbers, and it seems like there are no exact numbers. So, focusing on the principle of human dignity and the respect for life at the moment, from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death, I want to look at. <coughs> the status of these embryos that are produced and then most of them frozen through IVF uh, very briefly though want to sort of uh, we got over we discussed the moral status of the human person and we saw how a lot of this discussion of this debate comes down to the embryo and abortion and IVF but very briefly on a human biological scientific level what makes a human being a human being, as opposed to a tree, or as opposed to an otter, or as opposed to a red panda. We have a board, so. True, 100%, but on a biological level. DNA. DNA, DNA. You can clearly look at the DNA strands of a human and other types of living organisms and tell there's a difference. When do you have your first DNA strand? The moment of conception. the, 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 The sperm and the egg come together, and they produce this unique DNA strand taken from the joining of chromosomes of two gametes. And then from there, there is that process of mitosis, where the cell splits and divides, splits and divides. From the moment of conception, besides, like, minerals and and nutrients and whatnot, is anything ever added? Does another cell come around and join in? Outside of strange instances with twinning, outside of that, does anything ever enter in? No. From the moment of your conception, nothing essential is ever added. So for the moment of conception, that zygote, that embryo, is a genetically individual member of the human species at the stage of embryonic development. I think we may have gone over this, or I know we went over it with bioethics last year. There's this key philosophical distinction that I like to employ in talking to people about this, that that difference between accidents and substance is that you have a human being there, and then as it continues to develop, it's not going to develop into something else. It's going to stay a human being. It is going to become a human being at an embryonic stage of development, a human being at a infant stage of development. You, or most of us here, are human beings at this adult stage of development. Josh Zeldin is feeling today like a human being at the geriatric stage of development. <laughs> <coughs> so, but, but, um, but this is the distinction. It's not like a, an embryo becomes. A zygote becomes an embryo. It becomes a different thing substantially. No. It's all the same thing. Granted, is it cute and fuzzy? Does it have kinder schema like a baby? No, it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that genetically and biologically it's not a human. And so for our perspective as Catholics, because it is an individual member of the human species, it has human rights. So if you look at Donum Vitae number 11, from the moment of its existence, that is to say, from the moment the zygote is formed, demands the unconditional respect that is morally due to the human being and its bodily and spiritual totality. The human being is to be respected and treated as a person from the moment of conception. And therefore, from that same moment, his rights as a person must be recognized, among which in the first place is the inviolable right of every innocent human being to life. So that's the key. Your human rights come from your human nature, not from the government. But as we saw, if there is no human nature, if there's no objective truth, then all rights have to come from uh, civil society. So if we're going to take that argument that I made about the responsibility we have to care for the weakest and the most vulnerable, i would say that the the embryo is the weakest and the most vulnerable what kind of special care are we showing towards the embryos so let's look at what happens so the woman goes in she has the hyperovulation the eggs are retrieved usually about 20 of them they are fertilized and then what what happens to the extra embryos so looking both at dignitatis personae and donum vitae They'll talk about different things. There's one in particular we really want to focus on. The first is multiple transfer. As we talked about, that um, they can transfer multiple embryos in the hopes that one will survive, may miscarry the others, the others may not implant. Dignitas Persone says, this practice of multiple embryo transfer implies a purely utilitarian treatment of embryos. So. In that sort of sense, the intention of implanting multiple ones uh, and the action of implanting multiple ones is going to be uh, unethical. The other one that Dignitatis Personae talks about is embryo reduction, which is what? Abortion. Let's say that several have been planted in the womb and then two or three uh, connect and, 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 and implant Well, then the doctor can choose to abort some of them and save the other. Dignitatis Personae 21. The ethical justifications proposed for embryo reduction are often based on analogies with the natural disasters or emergency situations in which the best, despite the best intentions of all involved, it is not possible to save everyone. Such analogies cannot in any way be the basis for an action which is directly abortive. The other times moral principles are invoked, such as those of the lesser evil or double effect, which are likewise inapplicable in this case. It is never permitted to do something which is intrinsically illicit, even when in view of a good result. The ends do not justify the means. So the analogy doesn't work because it's not like, oh, we're, we're trying to save them all, we can't. No, you're going in and you're directly killing a few of them. That's the difference between a miscarriage and a directly willed abortion. The third is one that, of course, clearly is not going to be acceptable, is the discarding of embryos. So, again, I couldn't find clear statistics on this, but it appears that about 20 to maybe 30 percent of embryos are, quote unquote, abandoned, where once the, the woman has as many children as she desires, they are basically left in this cryogenic, freezed state. We're going to look at that more. Dignitatis Personae 18. The majority of embryos that are not used remain orphans. If they're humans, they're orphans. Their parents do not ask for them, and at times, all trace of the parents is lost. This is why there are thousands upon thousands of frozen embryos in almost all countries where in vitro fertilization takes place. I found that a 2012 report that said in the UK, 1.7 million had been discarded. Now, I would imagine they remove them as medical waste. I hope they're not just dumping them in the trash can. I hope they're not doing this at all but I'm imagining they're, they're, they're doing it as medical waste. Dignitatis personae 14. These losses are accepted by the practitioners of in vitro fertilization as the price to be paid for positive results. In reality is deeply disturbing. that uh, Research in this area aims principally at obtaining better results in terms of the percentage of babies born to women who begin the process does not manifest a concrete interest and in the right to life of each individual embryo. Particularly, it seems, the ones that are defected or discarded. Uh, however, they tend to judge those are um, the ones that do not have a high embryo quality. But most of them are cryopreserved. In some type of, like, cryogenic little container, they're preserved until the parents come back and want to potentially have them implanted. The key section for this is Dignitatis Personae 18 and 19. We're gonna really kind of, I don't wanna say make a deep dive into 19, but we're gonna really try to look at it as much as we can. Dignitatis 18 just talks about the fact that you need, this is 18, the beginning, you often need for the chances for success we've already seen how often IVF is not successful that you need to have several cycles. And so in order to avoid removing more eggs from one's body they freeze them and then try at a later date the transfer of the embryos. <clears throat> so. Is it morally acceptable to freeze embryos? No. 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 Not at all. Don Vitae six. The freezing of embryos, even when carried out in order to preserve the life of an embryo, constitutes an offense against the respect due to human beings by exposing them to grave risks of death or harm to their physical integrity, depriving them of maternal shelter and gestation, placing them at, uh, in a situation in which further offenses and manipulation are possible. And so Dignitatis' persona 18 is going to reprise that argument, basically just quoting the previous uh, one that I just gave you from Don Vitae 6. But it's number 19 is the key one and that is going to launch us into our discussion. We also want to try to discuss surrogacy today, even though they're somewhat connected. Yes.
1: So, by the logic of DB6, is it wrong to like, cryogenically freeze anyone ever?
0: Um, well, I would say no, because this is where consent comes in. Okay. Now, you could say, you might say, well, the consent of the ad- parents are doing it for their child. One might make that argument, um, but. That's a good question. We can maybe talk about it at the end of life. I would say, uh, why would you want to, co- what, what would be the purpose of the end? Could you fr- temporarily cryogenically freeze someone? Maybe if it's going to be for health purpose. Well, that's what you're temporarily cryogenically freezing them now. Good question. We'll talk about it later. What do you do with frozen embryos? What do we do with these? We have all these extra frozen embryos, millions of them, at least in the United States. So I want to go over it line by line or paragraph by paragraph if you do have Dignitatis Persona 819* out. I remember we used to, back in the 2000s, we're going to talk more about it on Monday, the whole thing about cloning and stem cell research and embryo therapeutic research and embryos was the big hot debate, Um, and the question of what to do with these frozen embryos would often come up. And we had our opinions. But then the Vatican put out this document, which, if you pay attention to the language, is very, very specific, and I'm sure is going to warrant a discussion. So let's go over it. With regard to the large number of frozen embryos already in existence, the question becomes what to do with them. We've already seen some of the things you should not do with them. Some of those who pose this question do not grasp its ethical nature. Motivated as they are by laws in some countries that require cryopreservation centers to empty their storage tanks periodically. This is the discarding. For health measures, you've got to discard them periodically. Others, however, are aware that a grave injustice has been perpetrated and wonder how best to respond to the duty of resolving it. We have this unjust situation these little human beings cryogenically preserved. The first is research. Proposals to use these embryos for research or for the treatment of disease are obviously unacceptable because they treat the embryos as mere biological material and result in their destruction. So you're going to research an embryo, you're going to kill it. The proposal to thaw such embryos without reactivating them And use them for research as if they were normal cadavers is also unacceptable. So, like, unfreeze them, let them die naturally, then use them. Not acceptable. Not acceptable. We're going to look more at experimentation on embryos uh, next class. The adoption by infertile couples. Here's a couple who says, we're infertile. Let's adopt one of these embryos and have them implanted in the womb of the mother. The Vatican says, the proposal that these embryos could be put at the disposal of infertile couples as a treatment for infertility is not ethically acceptable for the same reasons which make artificial heterologous procreation illicit, as well as any form of surrogate motherhood, which we're going to try to see later today. This practice would also lead to problems of a medical, psychological, and legal nature. So basically, because heterologous art, um, <clears throat> procreation is not acceptable, you can't take the embryo, which is the genetic makeup of this, these two couples or these two people, and put it in the body of a third person. Vatican won't accept it. But here's the one that, that is a little not as clear. What about prenatal adoption by well-intentioned couples? Now, again, I don't know how they differentiate this between infertile couples and prenatal adoption. This, I guess, would seem to be a couple who is fertile but wants to adopt this child. It has been proposed solely in order to allow human beings to be born who are otherwise condemned to destruction they could form a sort that there could be a form of quote unquote prenatal adoption this proposal praiseworthy with regard to the intention of respecting and defending human life presents however various problems not dissimilar to those mentioned above so what what what, what do y'all notice in the language here what do y'all notice in the language ryan Well, compare the language of this paragraph to the one we just quoted. What's the difference in the language? It
3: seems like bets
0: are being hedged here. Correct. Yeah, it's not coming out. He says bets are being hedged. So it's not an outright condemnation, but it sure, they're saying, presents, however, various problems not dissimilar to those mentioned above. Well, OK, it's not dissimilar, but how is it dissimilar? Um, It doesn't really explain. But it's this next paragraph that is the key one. So, if, if there's, in this whole debate, this is the key, which hedges the bets even further, as we'll see. What's the difference between pre adoption and the one that's... I, I don't fully understand what it would be, because I, I am an infertile couple. Can I adopt this child? Um, I don't know, they said they, they, could, they could put these embryos as a treatment for infertility. What's the difference between an infertile couple and a non-infertile infertile couple wanting to adopt? I don't see the di- distinction. I just don't.
1: It sounds like maybe they're imagining the second option is implanting the embryos in the woman whose egg they were made from and then, like, they're born, and then the baby's
0: adopted. It's sort of like we would do with, like, pro-life options, and they don't want abortion, so adopt them Yeah, pot- potentially. But in a certain sense, the distinctions sort of blend together with the next paragraph. All things considered, it needs to be recognized that the thousands of abandoned embryos represent a situation of injustice which, in fact, cannot be resolved. John has a comment. Like
1: in analyzing the three parts of the moral act, they're trying, to, they're trying to parse out intentionality. So that's I mean that's a key aspect of double effect, for instance. Let's talk about intentionality. What sorts of things can we do to make sure it's this intention, not that intention? And the second thing is circumstance. I mean, so the circumstance would influence intentionality. Does that, I mean, that, that seems to be what they're doing. They're trying to, trying to indicate a separation of intent that we also see in something like double effect. And there's certain circumstances surrounding it that make sure that that's not there. So for instance, if the couple's been trying for five years, within here they've been been working through infertility treatments for five years, there's a good chance their intent with adoption is colored by something other than the pure intent to to adopt an abandoned child. So that's what I see. Do you think that's a fair assessment of the moral (coughs)
0: I, I think it is, but that's what, let me finish this, and then I want to get to describing what the object is. What, what exactly is happening here? Therefore, John Paul II made an appeal to the conscience of the world's scientific authorities, and in particular to doctors, the production of human embryos be halted, taking into account that there seems to be no morally illicit solution regarding the human destiny of of the thousands and thousands of frozen embryos which are and remain the subject of essential rights and should therefore be protected by law as human persons. So basically, it comes down, the fact comes down to is that this situation, which is sort of absurd, it seems that it cannot be resolved. So let's get to that. When we're talking about all right, the intentions of these couples to adopt an embryo, all right. Your intentions are good, but it seems that the object, the thing that you were choosing, is still going to be morally objectionable. But it's different than the actual production of the, 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 the embryos. Now you could say, well, it's a cooperation and evil. Possibly. But what would be the specific object of the act here?
2: You know, I would say in... It's a married couple that they are able to have children, and they decide to to take this embryo it's because they want to, to have no no not to throw this embryo to the to the Correct. garbage. Correct. Um, and the in the other case, it's another couple that does not accept the fact that uh, if you get married it doesn't autom- automatically give you the right to have a children. Mm-hmm. So they do because they want to possess, Maybe, or, or maybe not. But it is uh, different. So they, in, the other, in the first case, they are uh, kind of helping. I mean, because they, they can do both ways. But
0: I think that w- it would still be the further intention, the reason why you were choosing to do this. What is the actual choice? The, 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 the woman who chooses to adopt an embryo or implant an embryo, what is, regardless of the further intention, what is the choice? What are they making? The choice is to receive
3: artificial uh, reproduction through this process of getting an
0: embryo into... Like, <clears throat> well, I, I think you're going to have, like, two objects here, and we can somewhat get into this discussion. The first thing that the the couple is choosing is to conceive of a child, to produce a child outside of the marital act. Now they're not doing it just to do it. They're doing it because they want to be pregnant, because they can't be pregnant. Laudable intentions. But still, what are they choosing? Their extra act of the will is I'm choosing to pay this money to have this doctor do this thing and what, what I want. I want to be able to have a child that I can implant into my uterus. But then the second stage is the actual implantation. So what it seems is this document is making a distinction between the action of creating these embryos and then the implanting of it. But it appears to say that the implantation of an embryo into a womb for this d- direct intention of becoming pregnant, regardless of your further intention, regardless if it's your own child, or regardless if you're a surrogate, regardless if you're trying to uh, adopt, that is an objectively immoral act, regardless of further intention. It doesn't really clarify. Well, I think, it, I think it would clarify, it would probably say because the child must, should come about in a, a natural way, from those other precepts that we've given, but it seems though I, that they're connected. In a normal natural act, the conception and the implantation are, are sort of all connected t- together. But we've separated not only the unitive and procreative meaning of the act; we've, in a certain sense, separated procreation and, I mean, uh, conception and implantation.
1: I think I mean, this obviously isn't the end all, but I think where it lists problems of a medical, psychological psychologically, know, psychologically, like the, that that site you shared with us, the, us or them for us, like about not knowing who your original, like biological parents are, and that like, causes a lot of problems, and, like just socially in the family. There's there's moral, yeah, like, there's there's moral boundaries to be had. I
0: think that's part of the <coughs> absolutely. I have a real
1: hard time with this. I, I don't I have two things that seem to undercut the argument. One. Adoption causes all those same uh, social, psychological problems, okay? Well, that's on one end. On the other end, imagine the scenario where you have a premature baby born three, four months uh, into pregnancy, and it's on that cusp of, like, they they might be able to save this child with massive up-to-date medical intervention and processes, or you could just leave the child there and let the child die. Okay. What's the difference between that and saying, "All right, I have this frozen
0: embryo; it'll just die if it
1: sits there, but I'm going to do something artificial and special to see if I can get that child."
0: Okay, okay. So let, let me jump ahead before we get to that because you're you're. I think I know what the difference is, and if that article from the Catholic Health Ethics sort of made that distinction, if I remember correctly, what is there an ethical solution? So let me, let me throw a few things out, then we're going to get to the one that seems the craziest but potentially is ethical. One of the big arguments is, could we see, this is sort of outside of this, could it be seen that cryopreservation is extraordinary means of life support? And that to remove, to unplug the cryopreserver and to allow them to thaw and die a natural death, is that... Seen as removing extraordinary care, tantamount to removing a ventilator that is keeping uh, beings alive. So that that the letting them thaw would be giving removing life support. Of course, then giving a proper burial. That's an argument that Father Tad Balchuk used to make. I don't know if he still makes that argument as a potential where you're not going in and killing them or discarding them. You're just letting them pass away. That's a potential. What about, and again, I don't necessarily want to get into this one because I want to get into the next one implanting the, the, the embryo in the womb of an animal to allow it to develop. There's a repugnance towards that. Also,
2: psychological
0: issues. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. However, the thing that I think the article talked about, or the, the, the chapter, is ectogenesis, artificial wombs. Now, as as our friend Trey Fontenot (coughs) said they grow sheep in bags (laughs) we've grown a sheep in a bag does it look like potentially within the next I don't know 20, 30, 40 years we would have these artificial wombs where potentially children could be developed Now, granted, there may be some psychological damage and whatnot. We could talk about that. Uh, The church would not allow this necessarily for full term. I don't think we could see that to just, like, take the baby and put it in the mom to say, I don't want to have a baby, so I I don't want it to make my body all distended, so I'm going to put it in the in the 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 ectogenesis chamber. But what about frozen embryos? to save him. And the argument comes down to, what about a premature baby? Let's say that there's a woman who's pregnant, and she's going to give the birth to the premature child. This is kind of connected to what you were saying there, Josh. And the baby's going to die. But could we put that in an artificial womb to allow the child to continue to live, seeing it almost as an incubator, as the type of an incubator? We, we know we put kids in incubators all the time in NICUs. What about if it was to save the life of the mother? This is, again, I think in that article. The mother has preeclampsia or something, and she's going to die if she gives birth. Could you, could, you, could you remove the embryo before it's viable and put it in one of these artificial wounds? And then what about the impact on abortion? A woman doesn't want a baby. And instead of killing it could you take it and put it and develop it in the artificial womb to save its life because you're not putting it and this is the issue. you're not putting it in the body of another woman it appears that the, the the church's position is you can't put it in a human body you potentially could put it in a, a bag or a, a artificial womb that's what it, it seems to be but we don't, I don't there's not any clear teaching on this john
1: there's also a mixture of the, so the integrity of marriage is sacrosanct, you know, it's a sacrament, so you have to respect the integrity of marriage, but in canon law, impediments to marriage involve the inability to consummate, or one of them is, you know, the inability, in, is it in virility,
0: <coughs> but mm. not infertility. Not infertility, correct. So
1: this is interesting because it seems to be shifting, if you're coming from an integrity of marriage point of view. I understand why the marital act can't be tampered with, because that's that's essential to it. But there hasn't been, even in canon law, there's not this idea that the, the status of fertility or infertility of the woman in the marriage doesn't affect the integrity of the marriage at all. So it seems like an extension of the integrity of the marital act into the integrity of the gestation. And that is something that's never been done before, and it's even in canon law with what's an impediment and what's not. Infertility is not an impediment, but in impotence is. So I just want to know what, yeah, I think it seems like that's coming into play because these other risks of psychological and legal nature, Mm -hmm. they seem to be accidental to the integrity of the life that's involved.
0: And the the act of gestation, or the act of implantation and gestation.
1: (coughs) <coughs> ology on that being essential to a sacrament or to it's yeah. It can be seen and it also undermines all the arguments we make about abortion that that adoption we can't kill an infant, therefore you shouldn't kill the first strong, second. So there's we have to almost find a new way of grounding all those arguments if we don't.
0: Yeah, I, I I I don't have an answer to this. This is sort of like what do y'all think? I know this is going to be a much longer discussion. I want to hit surrogacy. We have a lot of opinions. Daniel.
2: So um, I see that one of the, the reasons is that the the problem is that we don't have a destiny for these kids, uh, these embryos, and from from the look of things, for me, I see that uh, uh, the solution should not be into uh, putting them into infertile couples, and then. Uh, from this one of the natural adoption, I would think that would be an option because we are going to expose these embryos to natural uh, conditions instead of artificial wounds. Mm-hmm. So for me, I would think uh, a couple that is even fertile, they have kids, and they choose to give these embryos a destiny with natural circumstances it would be something to, to look at instead of uh, artificial wounds. And then probably also uh, end up uh, regulating the, 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 the amount of uh, embryos that, okay, the eggs that are being um, removed from uh, a couple, which is infertile or something of the sort. So that maybe they, s- they say, instead of having multiple embryos uh, uh, frozen, then they have a limited number of maybe one, two,
0: so that if the number probably regulated as Yeah, I, I think you meant that's another great distinction between natural and artificial. It appears here the church is saying the natural solution is not good, but the artificial is all right. We're not in the church, is not saying that, but we're, we're saying potentially the artificial solution could be acceptable because it's not natural. Uh, there are a lot of distinctions here. I'd like to have a bigger discussion, but I really want to hit surrogacy. Maybe after the Super Bowl, We could continue this discussion, uh, since nobody cares about, well, actually, some people care deeply, but they're just in their theology. (laughs) Well, let's look at surrogacy. What we know, very briefly, because I don't want to be able to, to roll the dice, very briefly, surrogacy is basically when a woman carries an embryo implanted in her uterus, who is a genetic stranger to her. And there are all kinds of issues of where could it be eggs from another woman, sperm from another man, all kinds of different uh, ways of doing it. The woman could have donated her own egg and then was allowed herself to be fertilized and then giving, it's gonna give the baby up to someone else. There is a legal contract that is established for this. So we're not just talking about some random thing. We're talking about legal surrogacy. Each state has defined surrogacy laws all defended under the umbrella of reproductive freedom there are websites that give very concrete details about these contracts. Now, the church is going to be against this, n- no doubt. But to know that there are legal regulations, uh, how much the woman's going to get paid, usually it's 30000 to fifty, three thirty to $55,000 plus medical because it has to make up for the risks associated with the pregnancy, uh, the surrogate's health and whatnot. <clears throat> um, Is it morally illicit? No, for the same reasons which lead one to reject heterologous artificial fertilization, for it is contrary to the unity of marriage and the dignity of the procreation of the human person. So here maybe we can see a little bit of a fleshing out of the argument. Surrogate motherhood represents an objective failure to meet the obligations of maternal love, of conjugal fidelity, and of responsible motherhood. It offends the dignity and the right of the child to be conceived carried in the womb, and brought into the world, and brought up by its own parents. The big issue I would say, particularly here, not just in surrogacy, but in paying for surrogacy, is the commodification of the body. There, of course, are complex legal issues that will arise. What if the surrogate mother wants to keep the child? This is all kinds of stuff that you're going to see in uh, these, these contracts. What about abortion? What if the the, the parents or the the, the one who pays for the surrogate mother wants to abort the child, but the woman doesn't want to? There is a surrogacy industry out there. How significant it is, I don't know. Uh, Basically commercial surrogacy where you have, particularly amongst the LGBT community, it seems from what I've read is, is, is a part of this. Individuals who maybe could not normally have children. They go to a surrogacy broker. There are people out there who you go and say, I want to find a mother. And it leads to reproductive trafficking, um, where these women are being willing to to take money to have your baby. And so we, there's reproductive trafficking and reproductive tourism. People going into developing countries and finding women there who'll take the thirty thousand dollars, or who'll take the twenty thousand dollars, to to have to, to to gestate your baby. That is clearly exploitation of um, the uh, the the poor and women. The commodification of females' bodies. This is what it's. We're not just the commodification of bodies. It's the commodification of female body. Uh, which I understand the feminists would be very upset about, and we all should be upset about. Uh, I just wanted to get that in, and we have about five minutes for discussion. Uh, We can go back to the other thing. I just wonder, uh, when we come to this pastoral question of trying to convince people that IVF is not the best thing, how many couples who go in choosing IVF for the very good intention of wanting to have a child and struggling with infertility are notified about realize or understand this whole question of what happens to the extra embryos I, I don't know and how convincing of an argument or of a case could one make to say I know that your intention is good but what about these extra children of yours that are going to be frozen and kind of stuck I, I know you want this And I know it's really, really painful, and it may seem like something just for you, but is it really just to these embryos? That is a question. And again, that's the question that I think could be posed beforehand and maybe afterhand, too. But I cannot see that um, it wouldn't strike to someone's heart. It's simply not just. It's not fair so that you can have this, as well-intentioned as it is, to just leave these embryos, these human beings, in this cryopreserved state. So wh- wh- what do y'all, again, we could, there's so many different distinctions here. But this distinction between procreation, gestation, is this valid? What, what are, y'all, what are your, your opinions as we prepare to wrap this up so we can take our test, or roll our die? Our big fancy die that we have, thanks to Eric today. Joe, I think
3: it would be a good conversation here for of, yeah. um, or like the particulars of about before, like either the artificial womb, um, or the yeah. Basically, well, I wanted to ask you like, what do you think of just that um, statement, in the last paragraph of uh, thousands of abandoned embryos represent a situation of injustice that cannot be resolved. Like I just, <laughs> it seems like an impossible situation to do, whether you use artificial means to try to save the embryo. So I think there's a good, like, my initial reaction in reading, um, like, you can take what was bad, these frozen embryos, and even using a bad means to give them good ends. like, even that is very questionable and probably at the end of the day um, not listed. So is this just a situation where, are we supposed to find a more situation, or is it just when it says cannot be resolved?
0: Is saying, or, saying, this is just, a, just can't do well I think it, it's that absurd situation it's an absurd situation that cannot be resolved the the healthcare ethics book talks about though doesn't it talk about artificial wombs I read so much the past week I can't remember where I read it did, did, did it mention artificial wombs not in our, our science oh it was in no I remember it was in um, it was in Nicanor's book Austriaco's book I believe he talks about the potential for artificial wounds. Um, I'll see if I can find it and point it to you, because this, it was him, I believe, that was talking about <clears throat> whether or not this would be acceptable. Now, of course, the potential for artificial wounds wasn't there uh, when John Paul II said what he said, I don't think. There was an article in 2003 about artificial wounds, <clears throat> which I could post on there if y'all were interested, um, that this potential exists. But, yeah, it seems like a situation that the church hasn't spoken on that, whether or not it's acceptable or not. But it does seem that if if it would be acceptable, it would be because you're not implanting it in a woman's body. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying if it would be. This is this is quite possibly true. And what are they going to be the after effects of it? Yes.
1: I mean, this is pretty much exactly the plot of Attack of the Clones. <laughs> 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 That's always great
0: with Star Wars. Like so, Attack basically that that, that yeah. Darth Sidious is making an army of clones.
1: Yeah, like we're going to like make a, an IDF army and official invadegee and it was like, a bad idea. <laughs>
0: Probably not as bad of an idea of actually making the prequels. That was a really bad idea.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but you, but you also but what else does what else does this though sound like though? This is Brave New World, where what if what if we get to a point in our culture where we don't need women? We talked about it from that Mylander article. Where we don't need sex, but what if we don't need women's wombs anymore? What if all babies, at some point, it's going to be that you can develop it in uh, an artificial womb where it's controlled? The big question is, when we're talking about fertility, what happens when insurance gets involved here and the government gets involved here and say, oh, you want to have a child that is is not pre-implantation genetic diagnosed and discarded? We're not insuring your child. Are you know, uh, could, could, but the thing is is, could some of these things be used? That's the point. If an incubator is valid, could an artificial womb be seen as an incubator? Not necessarily. We're talking here. It's not specifically for the automatic implementation of the embryo. The question of whether or not that would be acceptable is very specific, but what about once the child is developed in the mom's womb and removed? Could it then be put in an artificial womb? I don't know what that would be like. <laughs> the,
3: the
0: intro, like, I that's how much I I remember, that's the thing. I remember Attack of the Clones more than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's let's go ahead and roll and see if we have our test. But we'll have a, I, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl, uh, so we, if anybody afterwards wants to sit and discuss Attack of the Clones and stuff, who? Uh, uh, Eric, bring your big nerd out. Oh, boy. All
1: right.
0: I'm not rolling it. I brought it. I'm not rolling. All right. Who wants to roll? I washed my hands.
1: <laughs> I washed
0: my hands. Oh, Ryan's rolling. Come yeah. on. Rooflow. Put his on the line. He's got the luck. Ryan's the He's got the <laughs> <laughs> Four quiz. Oh, oh. All right.